All right, take your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to be we're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 1 through 4. Okay? And uh one of the things that I was going to tell you about is uh tonight I'm going to be preaching a sermon about me. Okay? And so uh well, why are you preaching a sermon about you? Well, here's the reason. Because that's what 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 through 4 is about. It's about the elders of the church. Now, when I say respect your elders, what do you think? Older people, right? And so sometimes you read this and said, elders, respect. But that's not what this word means. In fact, this word in the Greek is a word that is presbutero. Okay? Anybody know a word that we get that sounds like presbutero? Presbyterian, right? That's where they get their name from, is this word, which means elder. Or a synonym for it is a word that means bishop or overseer. Uh, another synonym is a word that means pastor. And they all have a little bit different meanings. But when it says in here, elders, or as a fellow elder, what we mean about that in a Baptist church generally is those that you have called to serve and to lead your congregation. So in our particular case, full-time, that would mean Jeff and myself. Part-time, we've got Alan and Janetta and Diane working and um, Deborah and Elizabeth all working, all right? Doing various tasks, trying to lead the congregation forward. And so tonight, the first four verses of 1 Peter are for me. So why am I giving them to you? A couple of reasons. First of all, because we're going through 1 Peter and we are now at 1 Peter chapter 5. All right? And so I'm not going to skip over it. Also because Peter intended for the congregation to hear his instructions to the elders. Now why would Peter want the congregation? Because when they got this letter, they would have read this letter publicly. Why would he want the congregation to hear his instructions to the elders. So you can keep you in line, right? Accountability, right? In fact, the title of my sermon is tonight is, if you want to put a title on it, is What You Can Expect From Me. Okay? It also allows the congregation to know what they can expect, but it also limits, in some ways, what they can expect. I'm just going to be real honest about, with you about some numbers out there. Okay, and then at the end, I'll tell you kind of personal stuff. Numbers out there about pastors right now are not real good. Okay, I mean, like, Lifeway Research recently did a study, and 55% of pastors, when asked, are you deeply discouraged today, said yes. All the recent studies say that pastors are less healthy, more stressed, and more discouraged than their congregations. And as spiritual leaders, it's kind of hard to lead out of unhealthy, discouraged, stressed places. Now, Tom Rayner, who is the president of Lifeway Resources, and before that was a, a seminary professor, but who was actively involved in church growth and monitoring church growth and leadership, 
has tried to come up with some reasons for that. And he said there's several reasons for it. He gave uh, on his blog one day, he gave a bunch of these, including like spiritual warfare, just the reality that uh, Satan knows if you can take and attack the leader, then the organization suffers. Right? And so some of you have been a part of churches. Um, some of you have been a part of places where the leaders have failed morally or leadership. They haven't given their leadership or they've uh, not done what God intended, and as a result, the congregation suffers. The church itself suffers as the ministry and the mission does. So spiritual warfare is one. Tom Rainer says that uh, by all of his accounts, pastors today are receiving more criticism in more ways than they ever have. It's not just that criticism has changed, although it has but they're receiving more. There are more ways to criticize. Used to, if you were going to criticize the preacher, there were about four ways. One, you gathered at the local coffee shop and you talked about him. Two, you got on the phone and you called somebody. Three, you wrote anonymous letters to him. Or four, you talked to him face to face. All right? Uh, now, there are variations in all of those. But today, there are websites and Facebook and Twitter. And, I mean, um, y'all may not be aware of this, but almost every pastor that has been called to a large church in the last five years within about two months has a blog trying to get him fired anonymously written by a church member. Posting things every day. Here's what he's doing wrong. Here's what he's doing bad. Well, he changed this and he changed that and get people flooding. When it, uh, my family happens to know pretty well the, the guy that's the pastor at Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis where Adrian Rogers was the pastor. Uh, Steve, I, we know Steve, the pastor there, partially because his mom was my Sunday school teacher when I was saved. He grew up in my church. My brother-in-law was his associate pastor for 10 years. So we know him pretty well. He wasn't there a month. And they were trying to get him fired through these blocks. Just the constant barrage. There are other reasons. Uh, pastors are working more hours than they've ever worked. Families are being stretched thinner than they've ever been stretched. Financial strain in pastors' lives is greater than it's ever been. And also there's this thing, 50 years ago, the only people you ever heard preach was your pastor and whoever he might bring into town. Right? Listen, y'all could listen to 14 pastors a day that are nationally syndicated all the time. And here's the thing, they don't put their bad sermons up. Right? If they're bad, they well, we're, not, we're ditching that series. We're not doing that. So when you get on the radio and all your day you're hearing David Jeremiah and Adrian Rogers, who's been passed away for five years and still preaching every day on the radio, and James McDonald and all that, and then you, people go and sit in their own service like, ugh, what is... It's, it's a, it, people always said that he had the voice of God. Apparently God let him keep using it. Yeah. But, but you see, so comparisons, and not only on TV or radio, there are hundreds of pastors online. I mean, all of our services are online, um, for better, for worse, indifferent, whatever, they're there, all right? So comparisons. But here's what Rainer says is the biggest, and that is unrealistic expectations. One company did a survey, and it's been a few years ago, and I couldn't track it down today, but I remember the numbers in my head pretty well. 
did a survey and they asked congregations what they expected their, their staff to do well. So they gave them a list of things. Which of these things do you expect the staff to do well? And then they listed the ones that over 50% of the people marked. And there were 35 things. 35. You've got to be able to preach well. You've got to be able to teach in a small group setting well. You've got to be a people person. You've got to be able to communicate in the community well. You've got to be able to visit when someone's sick. You've got to be good in the hospital. You've got to be good at the deathbed. You've got to be good in a wedding. You've got to be good at administration. You've got to be good at financial skills. That's nine of the 35. So when we come to this passage, let me first of all say I'm not one of the 55%. Okay? So I stand before you today. I'm not deeply discouraged. And I don't remember a time in the last uh, year when I've been deeply discouraged. Okay? Not that there aren't moments, but deeply discouraged, I don't remember. But at the same time, there is this unspoken expectation from both sides. And what 1 Peter chapter 5 really does is says, leaders, elders, here's what I expect of you from Peter. And in turn, what that means is, congregation, here's what you can expect from your leaders. So today, tonight, we're going to walk through this passage, and I'm going to give you three things that you can expect from me. Not 35, but three. Now, probably... You could take my three and you could do a good sermon of subpoints to 35 somewhere. But we're going to do three. All right? Look at 1 Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Therefore, who's talking again? Let's just remind ourselves. Peter, right? As a fellow elder and witness to the suffering of the Messiah, and also as a participant in the glory about to be revealed, I exhort the elders among you. Shepherd God's flock among you, not seeing overseeing out of compulsion, but freely, according to God's will, not for the money, but eagerly, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Here's the first thing that you can expect from me, and you ought to expect from me as your pastor and from your leadership, and that is a vital relationship with Christ. Now, it's in verse 1, and we're going to have to dig a little bit to get there, but the first thing you expect is that I am pursuing, that we as leaders are pursuing a vibrant, real relationship with Jesus. Now, here's how we get there. He, he calls himself three things here, right? Or says three things about himself in that first verse. What does he say? First of all, he's a fellow elder. Now, here's what's interesting about that. You have Peter, the apostle of the apostles. The guy that Jesus gave as the anointed leader of the group after. The guy on Pentecost that stands up and gives the sermon that launches the church. And he writes to a group of people that we don't have a clue who they are and says, I'm one of you. I'm a fellow elder. In fact, he makes up a word to do it. Now, I told you the word for elder was what? Do you remember? Presbuteros, right? All right? Presbuteros. He makes up a word. He says, I am sim presbuteros. Okay? 
Now the word sim is S-Y-M. You know any words that start with S-Y-M? Sympathetic, all right? Here, we'll break that down. You know you're going to get a Greek class tonight, but here it is. Patheos or patheos means feeling or to feel. Sim means with. So sympathy means to feel with someone. He writes here, sim presbuteros, which means I am an elder with you. My job is the same as your job. We're in this together. Now, I know that y'all probably didn't realize this, but there was a national event yesterday. Did y'all realize that there was an election? All right. Here's one of the interesting things that came out of the election yesterday. Um, and we're not going to rehash all that happened, but quick thing that I thought was interesting. One of the biggest victories the president got came in making people feel like he was one of them. I don't know if you saw that exit polling, but uh, people said, which of these two candidates do you think understands who I am, my situation, they phrased it different ways, it relates to me. And about 70% of people said President Obama related to them better than Governor Romney. And of those people, they voted about two to one for President Obama. Okay? It is a powerful thing to be able to make people or to help people feel like, real or not, you are one of them, with them. And what Peter does, he doesn't appeal to his authority as an apostle. He doesn't appeal here at first to his authority as one of the followers of Jesus Christ on this earth who saw Jesus. He says, I'm in this with you as a fellow elder, an elder with. And then he says, and I've seen the suffering of Jesus and I know the glory that is coming. He basically announces in that little phrase, I'm just like you, and like you, I desire to follow my Lord into glory. Through suffering, through hardship, through faithful service. And what's interesting is to read the rest of 1 Peter 5 out of those experiences, with the experiences of Peter in your mind, that he did, okay? So he references the sufferings of Jesus. What part of the sufferings of Jesus was he around? At some point he was around there, right? What happened in the midst of all that? He, Yeah, well, he, he scattered, right? Before that he cut a guy's ear off. So he was in Gethsemane. What did Jesus do in Gethsemane? Sweated drops of blood. He saw the agony of Jesus. He was there for... Huh? Yeah, he was... Yeah, well... He heard about it. Jesus woke him up to tell him about it. But he he saw some of that suffering. Now, even if he wasn't at the cross, because he wasn't, as far as we know, at the cross, he was with Jesus through the whole ministry. And he saw this Son of God who went through this suffering. And he says, I was there. I saw it. And I know what is to come. He, He references in this passage that comes, the... Um, sheep and the shepherd. You ever heard a phrase like uh, shepherd God's sheep? Yeah. Three times at the end of John chapter 21, right? 
do you love me, Peter? And Peter says, yeah. Well, then feed my sheep. Tend my lambs. Take care of my flock. So he's referencing that personal relationship with the Lord. In 1 Peter 5.3, he talks about not lording it over. And it sounds similar to when Jesus talked about that true greatness comes from service and humility, not from being first, but from being last. But he talks about being clothed with humility. The, the very picturesque phrase there is literally clothing yourselves with humility. And nobody ever clothed themselves with humility like Jesus when he wrapped the towel around him to go and to wash the feet of the disciples. He says to... Um, he warns about being strong against Satan. That the devil is ready to devour you. Sounds very similar to when Jesus the Savior told Peter that Satan wants to sift you like wheat. In fact, there's another little thing here. We'll get to this next week. But in 1 Peter 5.10, he, um, he talks about that God is going to uh, restore you or make you perfect. And it's a verb that is used here and made make you perfect or restore. But when it's used in Matthew 4.21, it means to mend their nets. Same word. In other words, Peter wrote these words inspired by the Spirit of God out of his own personal experience with Jesus Christ. He had a vital and growing relationship with Jesus, not just in his time on earth, but after the resurrection and the ascension. And that made it possible for him to minister effectively. One of the things that you can expect from me, and I need you to pray for me, is that I would have an active, pursuing, passionate relationship with Jesus Christ. The pastor of the local church has to be a man who walks with God and is growing. Paul said to Timothy, be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. The word progress there actually means pioneer advance. That you will be the one blazing the trail spiritually in your relationship with the Lord for others to go. The first thing Peter says here is, I have an active relationship with the Lord. And one of the things that you can expect from me and pray for me about is that. Here's the second thing. You can expect from me to be a pastor, and you can expect from our staff to be a staff that has a loving concern for the flock that God has given us. Now, the sheep imagery is used a lot of times in the Bible. What are some places you know that the sheep or flock imagery is used? Anything you can think of? Leave in the night? Yeah, so you have the, you have the one sheep that gets away and you go and pursue the 99. What's the most famous psalm? 23rd psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, so it compares him to a sheep. You got Isaiah, all of us like sheep have gone astray. You've got John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. The sheep know my voice, they hear my voice. You got Hebrews 13, one of my favorite benedictions in all of the Bible, where he says, May Jesus, the great shepherd of sheep. You got 1 Peter 2 here in Revelation chapter 7. The idea in Scripture is that we once were stray sheep wandering toward ruin, but the good shepherd found us and restored us to the fold. Now, what do you know about sheep? Anybody ever lived around sheep? Yeah, we don't use that word in our house, the S word, stupid, but. Sheep are stupid, all right? They are. 
So we were watching Charlie Brown. You know, Charlie Brown uses that word a lot. It is applicable. And the sheep, it's applicable. They're not intelligent. They're dumb. They're nervous. They can't protect themselves. They get lost easily. They don't know how to use a GPS. They follow. You can't herd sheep. You've got to get out in front of them and let them go. Huh? Yeah, you can't herd cats. No. Not that anybody really wants to. But sheep follow. Someone has said that they're clean animals. They tend to flock together. God's people need to be together. They're no, and this is how one pastor put the stupid phrase. All right, They are notoriously ignorant. All right? <laughs> like that. Uh, and then another one uses the phrase prone to wander. And when I hear prone to wander, I think of prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the one I love. Which is true, right? It's, it's applicable there. But they're useful animals. Jewish shepherds tended their sheep not for meat, but for their wool for their milk, and for their lambs. And so, here's what he says. He says that, Peter says that as the leader in this place, one of my responsibilities is to shepherd the sheep. That means feeding the sheep, taking care of the sheep. The shepherd has tasks to perform. He can protect the sheep from thieves and marauders. He... Uh, he must look for food and sustenance. He must constantly lead the sheep to places where they can find new grazing patterns and water. And part of my responsibility is to do that. A faithful shepherd not only protected his flock, but he also led them from pasture to pasture. He went before the flock and found the good places and then would take the sheep there. Sometimes it was necessary for the shepherd to give a personal moment to a sheep that had wandered away. Sometimes the shepherd had to get a little um, forceful with the rebellious sheep. And the shepherd was to tend the flock. One pastor said this, It's not an easy thing to be a faithful shepherd of God's sheep. It's a task that never ends. It demands the supernatural power of God if it is to be done correctly. What makes it even more challenging is that the fact that the flock is not the shepherd's, it's God's. In fact, a little bit later, we get this sense that, and this is what it says, verse 4, I love the phrase, and we'll talk about this a little more in detail in a minute, when the chief shepherd appears. When I was growing up at First Baptist Irishburg, my pastor's name was Reverend uh, uh, Raymond Boston, but we call him Brother Buddy Boston. And Brother Boston... I remember over and over and over again would say, it's my privilege or I'm my job or my responsibility to be the under-shepherd of this congregation. I mean, you don't know that word, under-shepherd? When I was a kid, I didn't have a clue what that meant. I was like, what is an under-shepherd? I know what a shepherd is. What's an under-shepherd? Well, it comes from this verse that the chief shepherd is in control of the flock and God at this moment has called me to be the under shepherd to the flock. And that means doing some things to feed and protect and discipline and help. It also means being an overseer. And that's what it says in verse 2. It says, and not overseeing. The idea there, it's going to give us some conditions in a minute. But the idea is not 
Um, the word overseeing there is the word for someone that takes care of the affairs of the organization, of the people. It's someone that is an effective pastor, but also an effective leader, an effective administrator, somebody not that does everything, but knows how to lead under God's guidance. And then it gives conditions for that, three conditions. And first of all, it says, not out of compulsion, but freely. You know the difference between doing something out of compulsion and because you want to, right? I started to ask husbands, what do you do out of compulsion for your wife? But I figured that might cause some issues when you got home. Instead of, what do you do for love? Because you want to. Today's my mom's birthday. It's a big birthday for her just because the number in front changes. Okay, So it goes from a 5 to a 6 today. Um, in the first service, they didn't like it that I had only a 60-year-old mother. Right? <laughs> That you only your mother's only so but my dad especially since we as boys have moved away always makes sure he does special stuff on her birthday i was talking to mom this morning okay called her she apparently hadn't gone in the kitchen yet i I would take the boys to school and i called her and wish her happy birthday and they're coming this weekend mom's getting to come to the women's event for the first time she hasn't been able to come to the women's event before she's coming for the first time and as she's talking to me she goes oh and i was like are you all right she goes yeah said apparently your dad has me a cake already here laid out for me dad dad goes to work at five in the morning so but she didn't know she walked in and they were there when she got to work when she got to work, there were flowers there from her grandchildren. Isn't that amazing that Eli and uh, I don't know where he got the credit card, but uh, <laughs> that's something Dad does. Dad sends the flowers and he puts it from the grandchildren, puts names on there for the grandchildren. Now, Dad doesn't do that because he has to. He does it because he wants to. He loves to. Okay. Uh, I remember I, 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 the first pastoral advice conversation I ever had with my father-in-law. I was over at their house. Susan um, and I were with a group of friends going somewhere, and she needed to stop by our house for a minute. We weren't dating. We were just friends. And I walked in, and we for a second, and any of y'all know Dr. Jet? Dr. Jet, my father-in-law, is just one of those guys that if you get around him, he's going to make you have a conversation with him. And so he started talking. He goes, well, Susan tells me you're going to be a pastor. And I said, yeah. I said, do you you got any advice for me? I figure I may not, I don't know if I'm going to be around. You got any advice? And he said, here's my advice to you. I said, all right, I'm ready. If you can do anything else, do it. And I said, okay. I was really expecting something more about this book is really good for sermon preparation. Or, And he said, no, no, if you can do anything else, do it. He said, unless pastoring is the only thing in life you feel like you can do. You'll never be able to do it to the fullest potential. And that's what this means. Not out of compulsion for you, but out of our, my love for the Lord. When I was in ninth grade, the Lord told me I was going to pastor. And it wasn't... I've never regretted that. Oh, have there been moments when I've been frustrated? Yes, Absolutely. I won't give examples because I don't, uh, no, right now at the moment, no, but I don't want to give examples because I want to protect the guilty, all right? Um, But I've never regretted it. 
And there are lots of pastors that are pastoring out of compulsion or I can't do anything else. And I'm thankful to the Lord that this is what I love to do. He says, don't do it out of compulsion, but do it out of um, love. Do it out of a desire. Do it freely. Then he says, don't do it for the money, but eagerly. Apparently, doing it for the money was a problem, not just in modern times, but in their time as well. Because he says it here in 1 Timothy 3, Paul says, an elder must not be a lover of money. In 2 Timothy 3, Paul says, false teachers are lovers of money. In Titus 1.7, Paul says, overseers must not be greedy. So he said, don't do it for the money. And then he says, verse 2, chapter 5, verse 2. Not for the money, but eagerly. The last part of verse 2. Yeah, yeah, one of my favorite... Um, Filthy lucre is my favorite, all right? Sounds like you're in a pirate movie, right? Yeah. They have, you know, the Holman Christian Standard cleans that up for not for money, but eagerly. Not for selfish gain. The idea there is don't do it. If you're in, if you're in ministry to make money, first of all, you're in the wrong business. Second of all, then you're in it for the wrong reason, all right? And so don't do it for the filthy lucre, all right? And then he says, don't do it lording it over but be an example. So don't lord it over, but be an example. And the idea there is that as a leader, one of the things you can expect from me in guiding the flock is that I'm going to set the example by going first myself. Andy Stanley, who I mentioned last week, has a famous saying, said, you will never be able to take people farther than you've already gone. Because you can't push sheep, right? So you can expect for me to be constantly growing, seeking, learning. Now here's the truth about a pastor's life. It's not smooth and easy growth. And there are some Sundays when... The hardest thing for me to do is to get on that platform behind me and to speak. Even though I've spent all week getting ready for it, spiritually it's just been dry. There's some Sundays that I can't wait to get up there and I get up there and I go and at the end of it I look at y'all and I'm like, I didn't get any of that because I was like, in my mind I was like a fire hose that had just been cracked open and y'all weren't ready for that because of what God's been doing in my life for seven days. Most of the time, it's somewhere kind of in the middle. Here's the last thing that you can expect. Do you expect me to be seeking a personal relationship with the Lord? Do you expect me to be a good shepherd? The third thing is you can expect me to have a desire to please Christ alone. Verse 4, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. This is, um, this is future language. This is crown of glory coming language. This is some glad morning language. This is in the sweet by and by language. That if you faithfully serve and you do it for the glory and the praise of God, not of men, then that's when you'll get your reward. And here's the thing. If I were to say to you right now, you can expect me as a pastor 
to seek God's approval alone, I would suspect most of you in this room go, absolutely, Pastor, that's what you need to be doing. Until. That means doing something that you don't like. Well, I don't know why he did that. Or I don't know why he wasn't there. Or I don't know why he made that decision. Or why is he leading us to do that? Or why did he say that? It's easy to say we want our pastor to only want to please God until we want to be pleased. So saying that statement is a big deal. Now, the truth is, that's something you ought to be doing yourself. Scripture says don't live for the praise of men because if you get it, guess what? That's all you get. Live for the glory and the honor and the praise of your Heavenly Father. And so my prayer is that I do that, that as I pastor this church, that I lead this congregation for His name's sake and for His approval. But that's not easy. You know why? Because I like you. I like you all. All of you. I love this church. I love the people of this church. But there are times that there are decisions that have to be made that I know are probably going to not make some of you happy. Or somebody happy. And I don't like that. But I'm unfaithful to my calling in the Lord if I make that my condition and not serving the Lord. Now, I realize that that probably goes over better to the group of 25 gathered here on Wednesday night than the congregation as a whole. But I need you to pray for me and for our staff that we will do what pleases the Lord alone. Somebody asked me one time, uh, this was not at this church, it was at a previous church, which the bad thing about when you only pastor two churches, you kind of know what that is. You can't be like the pastor's got eight churches at a previous church. They used to have a suggestion box, and I took it away. Why don't you have that suggestion box out of there? I said, well, first of all, it was intended to be an offering box. And it says a lot about you if you're putting complaints in the offering box, which we have had in our offering box here. Okay. I said, secondly, I said, this is going to sound really kind of mean, but I really don't need to get all my suggestions from you. I need to serve the Lord. And I don't mean that I don't listen to people. I mean, some of you have talked to me about issues, and I listen to people, and we talk about it, and we pray about it. But my goal is to serve the Lord, the chief shepherd. Is who I answer to. Warren Wearsby said that he wrote this. He says, If a pastor ministers to please himself or to please people, he will have a disappointing and difficult ministry. He says he remembers a visitor came up to him after church service one day and says, It must be hard to keep all those people happy. Warren Wearsby looked at him and smiled and says, I don't even try. I try to please the Lord and I like him take care of the rest. Scripture says that Jesus is the good shepherd who died for the sheep. He's the great shepherd who lives for the sheep. And he's the chief shepherd who's coming back for the sheep. And my goal, and what you can expect from me as your pastor, is to be a pastor who lives for his approval. So that's it. Three expectations.
that I'm going to passionately pursue a relationship with the Lord, that I'm going to do my best to be a good shepherd to this flock, and that I'm going to live for the praise of God alone. I would appreciate if you would pray those things for me. Because I need them. My family needs them. We all need them. All right, let's pray together.